Welcome to Decades from Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Dilini Algama and I'm joined today by Simon Josie to talk about our seemingly individual and collective experiences of having moved to Germany and of living in Germany. Hi, producer Simon. Consider pleasant initial greetings extended. Good day to you too, Dilly, and consider those greetings uh, received, I guess. Thank you. I'm trying to be archaic. Oh, super. Lovely to have you, Simon. How are you? Uh, good. I mean, it's kind of odd that Nick's not here, so I guess automatically I'm thinking we should be making fun of him. Um, uh-huh. But, uh, you know, we're both introverts, and here's hoping that we can carry on a conversation and hold each other's attention for however long this podcast takes. We will drink to that. It is very quiet without Nick. You're right. And actually, uh, on the note of the two of us being introverts, this is going to be the longest conversation I would have had with you, Simon. And um, Simon is, dear listeners, a largely mysterious presence on here with wit and a wonderful eye for detail. So if you ask him what kind of headphone uh, you should buy or what kind of mic you need, he will send you a very detailed essay saying why you should not buy X, why you should buy X, you know, the advantages and the disadvantages of like five things and then say that he would like you to buy Y. It's meant to show how much he gets into things. And um, he has, as I said, a wonderful eye for detail and so much so that I'm convinced he's a retired spy. Uh, are you willing to comment on that? No, I, I, clearly I... I, I... I can't comment on that uh, last assertion at all, Dilly. I for detail. I mean, I, I, I like to think of myself as a, a wannabe geek. So I'm not really a geek. I, I don't think I've got quite the right mindset to be a geek, but I'm a wannabe geek. So I sort of practice and pretend to be a geek. Deep down, I'm shameful that I'm, I'm not really a geek. But, I, you know, I try. I try. Maybe one day. Do you think you are a geek with imposter syndrome? Oh, that's a, that's a, goodness me, I should be probably sitting on a nice comfortable couch for these kind of questions. Um, <laughs> actually, that, that perhaps cuts a little bit close to the bone there, uh, Dilly. Um, uh -huh. I'm just wondering how do I divert attention of the discussion to you? Simon, tell me about your part of the world. Where I am currently is in Bonn, Germany. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I've been here since August 2020, which I guess is a bit of a story in itself because I moved here in the middle of the pandemic. In 2020, in August? It, absolutely. And, and that, was, that was quite an adventure. My, yeah. my spouse, I'm, I'm a trailing spouse, which means that, and mm. literally I did trail my spouse here by several months. The reason I'm here is because of my wife, and mm -hmm. my wife's job, um, mm -hmm. which brought us to Germany. And we came from Singapore, though we're originally from New Zealand. And mm -hmm. she came, actually, she started working here in March 2020. Mm -hmm. And shortly after she started, the borders closed everywhere, as, as you will remember. Wow. Yeah. And so... She was she was supposed to come back once or twice to Singapore during the year. I, I was staying mm -hmm. 
in Singapore to, and I, I was working there. I was employed in Singapore, and my son, uh, my my youngest son, was still finishing school, mm. the school year mm. in Singapore, and so he and I stayed with our cat and our dog until the middle of the summer, I guess, the Northern Hemisphere mm-hmm. summer in in, um, in Singapore. Mm-hmm. My wife was not able to come back at all, so she had originally planned to come back and and um, uh, help pack up the house and, and ship everything mm-hmm. across. But obviously she couldn't leave Germany. And um, mm. and so we did that, my son and I, we, we packed up the house. Um, the cat and the dog got sent across first, mm-hmm. which was a drama for them. You know, it was kind of interesting at that time, just as an aside, uh, freight became very expensive, air yeah. freight, because yeah. all the airlines were pivoting to, because they'd lost all the passengers, they were pivoting yeah. to transferring a lot of freight and they were charging an arm and mm. leg for that. Luckily, mm. we our move from Singapore to um, to Germany was at the expense of my wife's company, so, so that wasn't actually a financial concern for us, but it was mm. a little bit difficult getting a flight for the cat and the dog. But they they mm-hmm. made it here before my son and myself, and then my son came at end of school, which was I think early July from memory or June I can't remember sorry, and then I worked through and I was going to work in Singapore till the end of August, but my <laughs> my wife broke her leg, mm-hmm. and uh, here in Germany, and I know I shouldn't laugh, but I do, and that meant she was a bit useless, and so I moved here. Two weeks earlier than than I had earlier planned. So in mm-hmm. the middle of August, um, that's when I arrived. And having just packed the house up a month or so earlier, I then arrived here to unpack the house, mm. which was kind of funny because my wife was lying in bed with a broken leg. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, but I'd still rather not have a broken leg. So I guess one should feel some sympathy for her anyway. Um, I think sympathy is called for. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess I. I, I yeah. guess so. I don't want to get into trouble, especially as this is recorded. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So I, I actually ended up working my last two weeks in Singapore from Germany, following Singapore hours. So I'd get up at three o'clock in the morning and I'd work through till about twelve o'clock, and then oh, I'd Jesus. sort of stagger around the house and unpack things, and try to get to bed early, and then get up. And I did that for two weeks, and that was um, interesting. Uh, but I was still able to do it, particularly because at that time all our work in Singapore was completely remote. We were all doing working from home anyway. Mm-hmm. My my last day in the office was literally to go into an empty office and drop my ID card off and my my keys and what have you uh, into a box in reception yeah. that was unmanned. It was um it's kind of strange time to yeah. to be leaving yeah. Singapore. It was a whole strange time to move from one country to another. I mean, there were twelve probably 12 people on the plane when I flew from Singapore mm-hmm. to Germany. And then, yes, life started in Germany. Um, so that's how I find myself here in Germany. And I think it's maybe worth noting that I was in my mid-50s when I moved to Germany, mm-hmm. which yeah. is perhaps also a little bit unusual. What about you? I mean, h- how did you find yourself in Germany? I mean, you know, this is also the longest time I've talked to you. I I don't know much about your background. How did you find yourself in Germany? Uh, thank you for asking. I came here in 2011, April. And the thing is, I had been in Germany for 11 days again in April in 2010, a year before. 
I work in English linguistics. So we work with databases that are collected of written English and spoken English of various genres um, like TV, news telecasts, just people hanging around at a table talking, face-to-face conversations between friends and family or uh, museum guides talking in English, for instance. And so you call that a corpus. And I came here to Germany for a workshop on compiling a corpus of Sri Lankan English. And I really liked my experience. And I studied German and I applied to do my master's here. And that's when I moved in April 2011. I mean, did you have any fascination with Germany or, or the German language before you came to, um, to, to Germany? Not really. It hadn't been on my radar, to be honest. Um, okay. I mean, I'm from Sri Lanka. We have family in like Australia, Canada, the UK, I think. And Germany had never been on my radar as a country, as a potential country to move to or to live in. But I came here and I learned that in most universities, there is no university fee as such, not the kind that international students will pay, for instance, in Australia. So you have a semester fee, which is like 200 and I mean, right now it's 280 something or 70 something euros for one semester. And we didn't have a master's in linguistics in Sri Lanka at the time. And I couldn't have done my master's in a country where I would have had to pay a lot. And that's one reason for coming here. Sure, sure. Um, Just going back to the linguistics and and English. And, you know, I have to confess. I'm not sure that's the right word. That probably gives the wrong sort of connotations. But I come from a, a, a family of English teachers both my ah, parents yes. were English teachers, and yeah. my sister was an English teacher. She is no longer an English teacher, uh-huh. but but I'm sort of almost the odd one out for not being the English teacher. And mm-hmm. you know, I sort of rebelled against. Uh, I mean, I I was a reluctant reader. I was, you know, typical boy. You know, all these things. I I that that mm-hmm. often are these criticisms directed as young boys. You know, don't want to read. Don't want to blah, 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 all those kind of things, but but mm-hmm. just I seem to have assimilated a certain interest in in the language just by being around my parents. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, I, I I have to say benefited from from just being around people who put a lot of value, I guess, in in, in mm-hmm. language and being able to express yourself through the language. But I wanted to ask you, you know. Being in Singapore, I was exposed to a lot of colleagues whose second language was English. A significant, mm-hmm. I mean, the gang I, I hung out with were Indian predominantly. We had a certain mm-hmm. colonial connection, shall we say, and, and we love to talk about cricket and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That was a certain mm-hmm. connection that we had. But, you know, I was able to enjoy, shall we say, the peculiarities of Indian English. And so my question actually to you is, how distinct is Sri Lankan English from Indian English? Mm -hmm. And I I guess I have to be a little bit careful when I talk about Indian English, because I'm sure there are probably varieties of Indian Mm -hmm. English, just as there are. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, India is a big Mm -hmm. place. We all know that. It is, yeah. Just in general, are there distinct differences? And what's the reason for that? 
Is it because of certain colonial influences? I mean, okay, as for example, if you go to Malaysia, you not only do you have the mm. Chinese influence, but you also have, and I don't think many people realize this, there's a Portuguese influence in, in Malaysia. Mm. So, to, so tell me about Sri Lankan mm -hmm. English and its influences. Sri Lankan English. So um, English arrived in India and in Sri Lanka due to colonization. We have that in common. If I'm listening to someone and I'm talking to someone in English, I can say whether they are from Sri Lanka or India, because uh, particularly in the pronunciation, there are huge differences. So for instance, we say there is the rhotic R. So in Indian English or in Indian Englishers, and you were right about that, Indian Englishers and Sri Lankan Englishers, because there is not just one variety of one English in one place. So in the Indian Englishers, people will say car and pronounce the R at the end. And in Sri Lankan English, uh, we don't tend to do that. We say car. Okay. Uh, that's one difference. In Sri Lankan English, you have what is what is like called repetition. Uh, I, I'm, I can't remember whether that is actually the term for it. Uh, no, sorry, reduplication. That is the word for it. So in order to emphasize a quality, you would use the same word twice. So, for instance, um, a dot dot a material means that you have, it's like polka dotted. Yeah, yeah, lots of dots. And, uh, so yeah, rather than dot, dotty dot, dotty, it's dot dot. <laughs> dot dot, yeah. So that's one example of that. Hmm. But I think you also have it in like, for instance, in Ghanaian English, reduplication. And I'm not entirely sure whether you don't actually have it in British English. And a pet peeve of mine is comparing everything to British English and saying that, okay, they don't have it and we have it, or you don't have it in British English and it's a distinct feature in Sri Lankan English or Indian English. It's all very relative. Hmm. But I mean, as a Sri Lankan English speaker, I don't think we've even scratched the surface. I mean, there are certain things that you can see, certain things that you won't, depending on who's looking at a database. Imagine that you are putting together, like transcribing uh, people speaking in English in Sri Lanka, and you're doing this in a university or somewhere in Germany, and you are a German uh, student assistant, for instance. And in Sri Lanka, people speak in like English, they might speak also in Sinhala and Tamil, or in all three, or they might be speaking like in Malay. Uh, you have other languages and people don't just talk in English, particularly if you're having a conversation with your friends and family, you keep switching between languages and you code switch. And a German uh, student assistant is not going to be able to transcribe everything they hear. And they would just transcribe what they hear in English. And they would think that since this is a database on Sri Lankan English, Anything that is said in the other languages is actually not very important to us and we can just leave it out. Mm. And if you make that kind of decision, then you have a database that is not going to give you what you're looking for at some point. And mm. it's all very tricky. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, I remember years ago watching some Indian television. I think I was traveling to Delhi for business. And mm -hmm. I just, as you often do, you get in the hotel late at night and you just flick through channels to see oh, what do people watch on television. And there mm -hmm. was some local comedy on and I was watching it. 
and I was very tired and I was confused about what was going on. And then I realized that they were not just throwing the odd English word into their conversation. I assume mm -hmm. it was in Hindi, though I, that's mm -hmm. probably a dangerous assumption. But but this was in Delhi, so it's maybe not a bad uh, assumption. But they weren't just throwing the odd English word in. They'd throw whole sentences in English in. So mm -hmm. you know, there'd be a paragraph yeah. of Hindi yeah. and then a yeah. whole sentence of English and then back yeah. to a paragraph. And I thought, this is just crazy. Because I had assumed yeah. that usually if you live... I mean, if you think about what happens in Germany, mm -hmm. you occasionally hear words thrown in, in English. Either they've been adopted mm -hmm. or maybe people yeah. are just trying to be yeah. sophisticated or cool or whatever they perceive it to yeah. be. And they're, they're throwing a few words in, in English. But but this was a whole sentence or like many paragraphs. And I thought it was hilarious. And, yeah. and so I can understand what you mean when you say that because yeah. – People have got all these languages at their fingertips and they are just, yeah. it's crazy. They're throwing all bits and pieces yeah. in and, and quite substantial chunks, as I say, not just yeah. individual words, yeah. but substantial chunks of, of this language yeah. and then that language. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. You, you hear a lot of Indian English in Sri Lanka and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point we start uh, also using words they use in India or uh, using accents uh, that you previously heard only in India, for instance, because you have satellite TV and we have Bollywood right. and all and like satellite TV is streamed from India. And so all the commercials are in Indian English, like Coca-Cola, you have the Indian English ad. And I'm pretty sure like kids grow up seeing this and hearing it. And you have a lot of Indian newspapers whose articles are copied onto Sri Lankan newspapers in the newsrooms. I, I'm not saying it's illegal, and I'm, I mean, I'm sure they say Indian Times and so on, and source it, but like you see a lot of Indian English without even perhaps knowing. So, I mean, there might be differences, but maybe at some point there won't be. Who knows? Yeah, that, that reminds me of, of course, as, as I think we've all experienced, the, the dominance of a, a mid-Atlantic sort of or West Coast American accent that is largely adopted by speakers of English who've come to learn English as a second language. I'm thinking of Europeans. Mm -hmm. My own children, particularly my eldest son, I mean, he still has an American accent, and that's from going to school in the, in the, in the Philippines, first of all, mm -hmm. and then only for a couple of years or three years in the Philippines, but then also in Singapore where he finished the rest of his schooling. And he still sounds like an American. Um, I see. Which is, it's kind of amuses us still to this day. Yeah. You know, just the, the cultural dominance of, of American um, mm. television, movies, the, the spoken word, it, it just... It, it's it's overwhelming. Having said that, I lived for a long time in China, and um, mm -hmm. occasionally you'd come across some Chinese colleagues who'd clearly been educated in the UK, and they would have mm -hmm. a strong UK accent. And it was so different from everyone, all the other Chinese colleagues' English accents, which were American English. And, and it's quite amusing to hear it because it's it's so different from what you normally hear, which is an American twang. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. When did Sri Lanka gain its independence from its colonial master? Uh, we got independence on uh, the 4th of February in 1948. 
48. Okay. And since that time, what actually mm -hmm. has been the attitude of the population and of the government to English? Because often, you know, you would say, oh, well, that language was associated with colonialism and, and mm -hmm. you could understand that there may have been a movement to, to banish the language. Yeah, um, yeah. As we're seeing, you know, in, uh, I believe in, in, in Eastern Ukraine at the moment, it's, or if not the whole of Ukraine, it's like you are not to speak Russian anymore. Mm. Um, despite the fact that oh, this, was a, this was a Russian-speaking area. And that's not necessarily yeah. that we want to be Russian. It's just our language that we grew yeah. up with. Okay, put that aside. But, but what has been the experience in, in Sri Lanka and, and the attitude since '48 to English? We've been through several stages, I would say. So most countries that were colonized by the British and then went through the independence phase they always, I mean, it, it wasn't like they asked for it and they got it. So there was always a, the fight and putting together like the steam. And then you have the whole nationalistic movements where they say, no English, we want them gone. And what better way to do it than to cut yourself off from them government-wise and language-wise. And that's how you start. But at the same time, because the British had been there and there were also a bunch of Sri Lankans who very closely hobnobbed with the British and were part of the upper classes, so to speak, and who could speak English. So the moment you say no English anymore and there are still people speaking in English, then English becomes a very valuable asset to have. And in Sri Lanka, they screwed it up fantastically. So we had politicians who said, you know, it's Sinhala that is the way forward. And Tamil is just the language of the minority. We don't want to speak in English, but then their own children would study in English and go to Oxford and to other countries and study again in English. So English was kept away from an entire generation of people. Mm. And then you kind of keep digging the hole that you've dug for yourself by saying, and Tamil, we don't really need it either. It's just the language of the minorities. And 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 you do that because, uh, I mean, the whole power consolidation after independence is also very tricky. So you still have a bunch of people in Sri Lanka who use English as perhaps a mother tongue, uh, who use it as a, la a first language, and a larger bunch of people who just don't have access to it. And you need it for your studies to be at university. There are streams, subjects that are taught particularly in English in Sri Lankan universities. And you need it in school. And um, a lot of people are leaving Sri Lanka right now. And you would need English to go out of the country, to study in other places, to move to other countries, for instance. And there is a lot of privilege associated with knowing the language and using it. Mm. It can be used to humiliate people. You grow up, you mispronounce words, uh, and other kids will laugh at you, for instance. And that happens to you also as an adult. So you would have marriage proposals uh, in newspapers, and they would say, you know, this is an English-speaking bride, or uh, we are looking for an English-speaking group. Oh, seriously? For instance. Yeah, wow. yeah. And that's when, you know, he has two houses, uh, owns two cars, <laughs> speaks in English. And like, that's, that's where the language is at. Wow. Goodness me. Yeah. That's, um, that's amazing. 
women. So, what is your favorite fruit? Well, funny you should ask that. It's not kiwi fruit. And before, you know, I have, you know, people, people call kiwi fruit kiwis. No, kiwis are actually, well, okay. It's a bird. Let's, let's wind it all the way back. Let's not talk about kiwis. Let's talk about kiwi because kiwis, which would be plural, actually mm-hmm. in the Māori language, which is where kiwi comes from, there is no S mm-hmm. on things. So you talk about one kiwi, two kiwi, and three two kiwi. kiwi. So, okay. um, so that's the first thing. But a kiwi is actually mm-hmm. a bird. I think a lot of people, yeah. most people know that a kiwi is a bird. I am most people. And as a national symbol, it's... It's a bit embarrassing because it's a flightless bird. It doesn't actually have wings, yeah. which is, which is, <laughs> you know, it it runs and it it's very timid and runs around and hides at night. And uh, yeah, I've I've never seen one in the wild. You can hear oh. them. Oh no, oh. you can, you you never see them. They're so scared. They just hide all day. Oh. Yeah. If if you're interested, my vote for the national symbol of New Zealand should be the wicker, which is a much bolder animal but okay let's let's not go on about that but okay we're talking about Mm -hmm. fruit sorry to try and derail dilly's fruit corner so it's my favorite fruit is not the kiwi fruit i do like kiwi fruit kiwi fruit are actually chinese in origin i see yeah another very famous new zealand fruit if you ask new zealanders is the fijoa which mm-hmm. is a yeah yes <gasps> I, yes yes you you've tasted at least dry fijo or you have an idea what a fijo is like and and most New Zealanders will say oh yeah that's kind of the smell or the taste of home because it is something that is you now it's not unique to New Zealand because again it's actually imported it's originally from either Peru South America, or this, right? it's South South American definitely. And they do grow them in a few other places. In fact, I think someone was telling me that there are quite a few Fijos grown in Georgia, of all places, oh. but also in Italy and Portugal, maybe Spain as well. Fijos are marvelous. I mean, yes, a, a good Fijo is, is, a, is a wonderful thing. But my favorite fruit is actually something called a tamarillo, which is, is. also known as a tree tomato, but it doesn't sound as exotic. So we'll call them tamarillos. We call it a tamarillo. They are not native to New Zealand. They are also native to South America, but they were mm-hmm. commercially grown for a long time in New Zealand. Not so much anymore. There was a, a virus that got into the soil oh. and and started to kill the plants off. But but I, I just love tamarillos. There are two main varieties of that, that you would observe there's a, a yellow fleshed one and a, or a yellow skinned one and a, and mm-hmm. a dark red skinned one um, ah, i'm true. quite quite happy to eat both of them they're quite acidic if mm-hmm. you have too many of them you might have stomach problems but i mm-hmm. you know, i will eat them to excess and have stomach problems no problem mm-hmm. with that for me yeah i i just i just love them i love them i mean you can make wine with them you can make brilliant chutney with them but I just mm. a fresh, freshly cut and scooped out tamarillos. Yeah, so that's that's my favorite fruit. Having said that, the whole reason we moved from China or from Taiwan to the Philippines, it could be argued, was because of the um, abundance of mangoes in the Philippines. <gasps> oh, oh, you lived my dream. I mean, seriously, and my childhood. <laughs> Mangoes are brilliant, and what you can do with mangoes, once you've learned how to 
cut them, you know, cut around the, the stone and the, the seed, yeah. sure. and then to cut them up, put them into milkshakes, into smoothies. Yeah, and into, make curry with it and chutney. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, my mouth's watering. I'd have to say that's that's my favorite after leaving New Zealand fruit, but my mm-hmm. favorite New Zealand or home or childhood fruit would be the tamarilla. I mean, we did not have mangoes when I was a kid in New Zealand. I see. Yeah. We had a couple of mango trees in the garden, different kinds. So we had like Jaffna mango. I assume that's because that was the shape of the mango. I don't know why it was called that. And uh, we had something called, um, do you know the inside fiber of the mm-hmm. coconut? Yep, yep. And it's very fibrous. So in Singhali, it's called kohu. Mm-hmm. And we had the kohu amber, amber being mango, because yep. it's very fibrous inside. Yeah, yeah. And and very you can really like feel the threads. Yep, yep, yep. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, also uh-huh. in the Philippines, we had a lot of green mangoes as well, uh-huh. which uh-huh. is a little bit different, but just as exciting. Yeah, I, yeah, I just mangoes are great. Yeah. I don't know what Nick's problem is. I mean, what is his problem with fruit? What on earth is wrong with the man? Seriously. <laughs> I, well, it's it's probably not just him. I mean, I know a lot of people. Shamefully, yeah. shamefully yeah. even my eldest son, getting him to eat fruit, or even my younger son, getting him to... I mean, I could not understand. They, they were brought up in Asia, and they, they're not obsessed with fruit the way I am. I mean, I said to I my know. son, oh, have you had some fruit? And he goes, well, I had a banana. It's like... Yeah, maybe there's some I mean, other things bana- you can try. My boyfriend is like that. Really? He will eat a banana and if you and and he calls me, he he made up he came up with berry junkie for me because I I like berries, I love fruit. He can just survive on banana and maybe an apple if it's fall. I, luckily I grew up in a in a well it was originally a citrus growing area and then the tamarillos mm-hmm. came oh, in. And lovely. then they started ripping that all out and replacing those trees with with kiwi fruit. So as a, as a kid, as a young, as a teenager, I spent a lot of time working either in citrus orchards, or in um, then later into into kiwi fruit vines. So yeah, I did think of you recently when I ate a yellow kiwi. It was my gold. first. Gold. Oh, is it yeah, called yeah, gold? But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and it was called um, maybe I think the brand was Sun Gold. A very emphatically yellow brand name. I'm I'm not crazy about them in the sense I, I'm quite happy to eat them. But if you ask me, I would the original mm. green is is the way to go. I think they're a stronger flavor. I just prefer. Ah, them. I like this one better. It had a oh, okay. sweetness to it yeah. that I like. I've spent a lot of my youth associated with kiwi fruit. A lot of a lot of my youth. I see pruning, picking, working in a pack house, packing kiwi fruit. Yeah. Oh, that's something you've done. You you've worked on like farms. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I come from a small town, and though my parents were teachers, we were heavily exposed to to the local industry, which was horticulture. Ah, okay. Do you also like to do gardening here in Germany? Do you do that? Yeah, I was talking to my neighbor about gardening the other day. I think I'm a conscientious gardener rather than an enthusiastic mm-hmm. one. I enjoy the work and, and uh, you know, mm. it's coming up to um, autumn time and this time of year as we move into proper autumn, early winter is when we have to do a lot of pruning and trimming and cutting mm. and it's quite satisfying, you know. You, you feel like you've mm. done something. It's like when you mow the lawns and I don't want to trigger, you know, trigger yeah. warning, mow lawns, sorry, Dilly, but there's something kind of satisfying <laughs> about 
mowing the lawns because you can see what you've done. You know, you've actually yeah, you've done something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, is that getting a hair, fresh haircut? <laughs> yeah, no? so uh, you can see the ends. Yeah, with the pleasure of the fact you did it yourself. So it's like, oh yeah, I did that. Yeah, <laughs> I've cut grass in my in my days. Mm, very good. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so yeah, a conscientious gardener rather than an enthusiastic one, and and I blame my childhood for that because I spent a lot of time working either on my parents' property or, yeah. um, you know, in the, in the horticultural industry. So I, yeah. I, I like plants, love being out in the forest, walking and stuff like that. But yeah. there are other things that I'm interested in and there's only so much time in the day. I wouldn't offend my sensibilities to live in a apartment where there is no garden. That really wouldn't bother me too much. Yeah. I get you, yeah. <laughs> On that note, Simon, can I take you back to New Zealand a little bit and ask you a question? Of course. So, what took the wind out of your sails the most about moving here? It's a completely different hemisphere. Um, okay. To answer that question, I, I want to talk more about my the first place I lived after leaving New Zealand, which was actually Beijing, China. I left New Zealand in the middle of 1998, and I never okay. thought I would be away so long from New Zealand. Mm -hmm. I really thought it was two, three years, maybe five maximum, yeah. and here we are all those many years later. But I remember the thing, the first thing that really sort of knocked me back a little bit, took the, the wind out of my sails, as you say, is in New Zealand, our Christmas is associated with our summertime and our summer holiday. And that is true. Christmas starts in New Zealand. Really, it, it starts sort of the day before Christmas in terms of on Christmas Eve, quite often a lot of people leave where they are and go back to their family home on Christmas mm. Eve. And then Christmas Day is Christmas Day. So it's unlike Germany and other places in Europe where Christmas is Christmas Eve. No, the celebration is on Christmas Day. Okay. But the summertime thing is a big thing because then what happens is often on Boxing Day, the day mm -hmm. after Christmas, a lot of people leave their home and maybe go to the beach or some summer holiday home or, or something like that. And they'll go away and they'll be in some sort of holiday place through New Year's Eve, maybe a mm. week after New Year's as well. So Christmas time is the big summer holiday time. Not only is it this, the holiday time, the whole country seems to close down for January. The weather's warm. People are at the beach. It's, it's mm -hmm. a quiet time. Oh, really? Except for everyone's gone to the beach or whatever. You know, it's, it's a holiday yeah, time. Lovely. But Christmas time in the Northern Hemisphere, it's, it's winter time. It's shorter. It's, it's over, you know, after New Year's has occurred. That's it. Everyone's mm -hmm. back to work. And and I know yes, and and that was very hard for me to to take for the first few years. But then I realised after a while, actually, the northern hemisphere is better because you've got this nice little holiday in winter, the middle of winter, and then you've mm -hmm. still got your big summer holiday, which is separate from Christmas, which ah. which also means you know. At Christmas time, there's a certain, shall we say, obligation to spend time with family and blah, 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 you know? So it's yeah. your big summer holiday, but it's also time that you have to sort of go home and, and do things like mm. that. So I've actually changed my opinion now. I kind of I kind of like the Northern Hemisphere thing, which is that Christmas is family, 
it's short, it's focused, mm. and then it's back to work. And then you still got this big sort of flexibility about what you do in the summertime. It, it's not pinned around the 25th or the 24th of December. You can take it in June or May or July or August. You know, you, you can you can play around with what you do in summer. And um, yeah, so that, that, was, that was one of the biggest things in terms of knocking wind out of my sails. But also moving to China was was massive in terms of cultural difference. That I can imagine, yeah. And I kind of loved it, actually. I, I mean, it's still- How so? It's still, I still have tremendous affection for that time or the, the memories of that time because it was so challenging. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, this is 1998, we, we go back. I mean, if you read the, the Lonely Planet at the time, they said, oh, you won't be able to buy camera film there and blah, 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 all these things. You know, they really said it was, you know, you quite backwards. But actually, mm. it, it, it was already modernizing at a, at a, a tremendous rate in 1998. But you you very quickly had to acquire some, some Mandarin, Chinese Mandarin. Mm -hmm. um, mm. And... Uh, just, you know, you step outside the door, if you talk to a taxi mm. driver, if you order food, if you go to a supermarket, you, if you go to the market, you needed to know your numbers. You, you couldn't mm. bumble along the way you can in the bigger cities in Germany with, with no German. I mean, you can, you, yeah. you can sort of bumble along here. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But in China, no, you had to, you had to learn some Chinese. And so you very quickly learnt restaurant Chinese and taxi Chinese and mm. um, and shopping Chinese. So you learn your numbers and things like that. And mm. and that was, particularly I was a lot younger then, obviously, um, but it was very exciting, those challenges. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a great time. And, and China's just so massive and, and vast. And of course, it's like any country, when you get there, you realize it's not it's not what you've seen on television. It's completely different. Mm. It's not the same cuisine that you've gotten from your local Chinese takeaway down the road. There's actually a tremendous mm. range and variety of, of cuisine in, mm. in China. So China was was just cool. It was just, yeah, we were there five and a half years, arrived with a backpack. I arrived six months before my, well, she was girlfriend then, since became my wife. And we mm -hmm. left with our two sons and a 40-foot container, you know, five and a half years later. So it was just, yeah, it was crazy, crazy time. And then we went to Taiwan, which was mm. really interesting because it was, at the one hand, more open and Western, westernized, more aware mm -hmm. of the outside world than mainland China, but also in some ways more Chinese than mainland China. So you had like lots of working temples Mm. which you don't have in mainland China. The, the, you know, the communists really suppressed a lot of that. You know, we had fascinating things. I, I, one of the, my favorite story I like to tell about that is when you know, I worked in telecommunications and whenever we did a, uh, a contract or submitted a, mm. um, a proposal to the customer, before it was actually taken to the customer, it was first of all taken mm. to the temple and blessed at the temple before being taken to the customer. And it's just like- I know this. Yeah. This is like, wow, that would never happen in mainland China. <laughs> so so yeah, being in- Very religious. Yeah. And well, the, the funny thing is there's also a lot of Christians and, and Latter-day Saints and, and what have you um, in, in, in Taiwan as well, which, you mm. know, so there's a, there's a, a vibrant- uh, 
competing religious um, life, mm. should we say, in 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 Taiwan, which you don't see in in mainland mm. China. So yeah, it was it was a I, I would say it was a, a privilege to to then live in in Taiwan and Taipei for a couple of years after living in Beijing, just to see those and yeah experience those differences. And then we, after that, we went to Mango Land and. Um, Mango Land was about a lot of mangoes, and that was great. Um, <laughs> and then Singapore for 12 or 11 and a half years, and then Germany, thanks to my wife. All the other trip changes were because of my job, and then mm-hmm. then actually coming here was because of her job. Do you, do you have a world map somewhere on the fridge where you cross out the countries you've been to? It must be pretty full by we, now. We have, we have fridge magnets of all the countries we've been to, so... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a pretty full fridge. Simon, I have, I, I've, I've wanted to know. So, is there a New Zealand community here in Germany that you are part of? In a word, no. In the sense that mm. I'm not a part of one. I'm sure there probably is a lot of Kiwi, particularly a lot of musicians, spend time in Berlin. So, in the mm. last 10, 20 years, it's been quite sort of it's been the done thing to do to to go spend sort of six months, nine months working, mm. living in, in Berlin. But I suspect that's probably quite common for a, a lot of hip, young, cool people. I don't get out much. So, uh, and and coming here during the pandemic, it was kind of, kind of an odd time. Mm. It, it's been quite difficult to form uh, substantial friendships, I would say. Mm. And that's not, and that's not a criticism of um, of German German society. I, I don't want that to be misinterpreted at all because mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not ranting against Germans here. Um, More the conditions under which you came here, right? Y- yeah, like I was very hopeful of of sort of like my son came. My younger son was here for the last two years of his school, and he was mm. an internet in an international school here mm. in Bonn, and I was kind of hopeful of being very involved with mm. the school because I had time on my hands. Mm-hmm. But that didn't really happen mm. uh, for a couple of reasons, which I won't bore people with. And then I I sort of threw had to throw myself into learning German full time. I was obliged to do that by the authorities here, which I always mm-hmm. find amusing. And so that started in class, and then that went online as well. Um, so you know, we, we probably forget a little bit, but it was kind of an odd time, and there wasn't a lot of social contact, and and there were restrictions about um, social interactions, and yeah, and uh, I had to I had to make my friends online, which is kind of why I pestered Simon and and um, Nick to to start producing the the podcast for yeah. them, and I. I sort of timed that right. Uh, they they were very willing to take a chance with me doing that. So yeah, I mean, what about you? Do you is there a big Sri Lankan community here? Are you? Is that something? I mean, sometimes there's that temptation to I left Sri Lanka or I left New Zealand and I don't really want to come over here and just pretend to be a a Sri Lankan in exile or a New Zealander in exile. I I want to interact with other people you know i i i mean cuz you know you see that you see in countries you see immigrants stick only with their own and don't branch out and it's understandable sometimes they they yeah. have to do it yeah. you know yeah. i particularly if it's a language issue i can understand that 
what's what's your experience? I mean, if, or have you gravitated towards other Sri Lankans in in Germany or or not? I know a couple of Sri Lankans here, mostly from Twitter, though. Mm. And um, I had the most wonderful privilege of getting to know a cousin and his wife uh, when they moved here from New Zealand, actually. Uh-huh. So my cousin's wife, my cousin, I mean, she's also my cousin. So my cousin finished her PhD in New Zealand, and then she got a postdoc uh, position here uh, in a German university. And that was the first time I got to know them. Because okay. um, I hadn't known them before. And um, I'm very uh, careful of uh, being put in touch with Sri Lankans. Um I mean, I remember when I even wrote to my cousins for the first time, I wrote their names. So dear name and name and not the kinship terms of they're older than me. So I should refer to them as a name older brother and name older sister. Okay. And I didn't do that because uh, I, I, I don't really like the establishment of hierarchical relationships in terms of kinship terms. And right. that can lead to um, people expecting things from you and uh, deference and respect and being told things. And uh, it, that can dictate a lot of what's okay and not in a relationship. And I tend to not like that. So I remember I got told off by my parents when I said, ah, yeah, I wrote to them. And I said their names. No, no, you should say, you should say Aya and Akka mm. when you talk about them or to them. I said, I don't really do that. And they replied to me the same way that I wrote to them, and and, and it was great. Uh, so I know them, but they've now moved out of Germany to South Africa, and then they moved to uh, Sweden. So okay, wow, yeah. And um, <laughs> uh, I don't know many Sri Lankans in that sense. Um, I do know there is a Sri Lankan shop in Frankfurt and a Sri Lankan restaurant close by. Okay. And I go there. And there I get called Akka, which is older sister. And that f- doesn't feel like anything patronizing. It just feels like closeness. And okay. so they don't want to call me miss or person. And they say something that only my brother says to me, older sister. And I thought about it only later, but then I immediately responded with Mali, which means younger brother. Mm. And I realized that I'm, I usually don't like doing that, but in that instance, it 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 just felt like I don't know, like a little part of home, mm. and mm. and not the whole, uh, yeah, the relationship hierarchy thing. Because I remember once, um, my father had a friend and his wife moved to Germany uh, for work, and they said, "Ah, oh, we know that your daughter lives there. Do you want to send anything to her?" So he sent me a bunch of my books. Through, through them and I had to contact them to get the get my books and I my phone wouldn't work for some reason I didn't know this and so uh, they tried to call me on a Friday and my mother had tried to call me on a Friday I switched on my phone on Monday and I see the missed calls whereas my phone had not rung at all uh, so I call and so even though they're not people I've seen or met I call them auntie and uncle because they're my father's friends and so I said, "Hello, Auntie. I'm I'm so sorry. I um my phone's acting up, and I hadn't I didn't see your call till now." And she immediately, and this woman who'd never ever met me before, she goes, "You switched off your phone and you went somewhere. Where were you?" 
wherever you putta and putta is a word that you use typically for a son but also for a daughter but it means that the person who says it has taken on an older parent role mm. that is what it says to me at least mm. and i realized that she meant that i live here without my parents and here i am uh, probably sleeping around or whatever ah. it is that people think of people yeah and and i said it was the first time i'd had spoken up for myself like that with an older person well, at least outside the family and i said are you sure that's something you should be asking of me and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and she apologized i got my books and never heard from them again yeah and um, i think i don't think my father has heard from them either and he knows the conversation it's just mm. this um i'm very careful of approaching sri lankans particularly since um i mean i'm i'm not married and um i'm a woman and they take on this um role of uh, the guardian of virtue and virginity or whatever it is that i feel absolutely uncomfortable with yeah. and so i particularly sri lankan women so i, I really tend to stay away uh, yeah. for, it gets conversations get very uncomfortable yeah i in a in a in a different way i mean it sometimes feels like we've run away from new zealand and left certain things certain complications mm-hmm. behind you know i see you know you know you know what families are like yeah. and when families yeah. are close together and you know uh, you need some yeah. distance sometimes to work things well, out yeah i mean there's i mean there's no major strife i would say in yeah. our wider families but um let's just say occasionally there are advantages to to yeah. being on the other side of the world yeah. yeah you know new zealanders are quite funny we are um historically and and sort of famously not very confrontational oh interesting there are certain new zealanders who are very bothered by this and other new zealanders who just think yeah well we we're just pretty easy going and it's just not worth the stress um but there was a you know there's a there was a famous i remember on a student radio they did an ad you know a commercial mm-hmm. the, the situation was a, a young couple of students who'd gone to a restaurant mm-hmm. and they were eating their food and it was terrible and they were talking to each other and said oh this is terrible isn't it oh it's mm-hmm. oh, it's just the worst food ever and the and the and the waiter comes across and says oh everything good and they both oh yeah it's great thanks super that's super <laughs> and that sort of sums up new zealanders perfectly it's like really? they're, you know they're not going to rock the boat they're not going to cause a confrontation oh, they're no. not going to it, it's perhaps changed a little bit but it yeah. it's, let's just say that it you know when i was a student and from from my growing up that was Yeah that that sort of summed up New Zealanders mm. perfectly I thought. I see. So yeah so we we came across to the other side of the world to avoid any any tension or confrontations at home with family and friends and stuff. Yeah. I I say that slightly in tongue in cheek but but not entirely. <laughs> Simon, I know that you moved to Germany in your 50s, but if you had to move again, where would you want to go? Oh, good question. Um, I I guess if I had to move again, I'm and I'm in no mood to move. I just will point that out. I've, okay. At this stage I've 
put so much effort into trying to to win at Germany, should mm. we say? And mm-hmm. and and I don't think I have won at Germany. It's a, it's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the sporting analogy. I know how much that upsets you, Dilly. I am I'm holding back tears here. But if if I was forced out, I guess it would probably have to be back to New Zealand now because just because of age. I wouldn't want to go somewhere where I had to start learning another language yeah. and another culture again. I would I would just go for the easy option, which is like a S- New Zealand, possibly Australia. Um, mm. Though they have snakes and spiders and just the worst things in Australia. I don't know why people live in Australia. I just we don't have snakes. We have one spider, maybe a couple of spiders. That you don't have snakes little, in New Zealand. We have no snakes in New Zealand. You can you can go into the forest and roll around in the grass to your heart's content. Nothing is going to kill you the way it can in Australia. Australia, they've got so many nasty snakes. I, I don't you wake up in a sweat every night for your your brother and sister in law and your and your um your nephew. I have occasionally asked my brother if he has some kind of field guide to spiders and snakes. Uh, does he need one? And um, I mean, he. We are from Sri Lanka. We have snakes and spiders too, mm-hmm. so he kind of takes it in his stride, though. But I, yeah. I, I understand your concerns, Simon. But, but you know, maybe on the twentieth floor of a um of a big tower rise block in downtown Sydney or Melbourne, or you know, I could probably cope with that. You know, the, my fear of snakes and spiders. Actually, I'm, I'm just not. I'm not super fearful of them. I'm just wary of them, shall we say? But anyway, so I, I would have to be. You know, I'd have to go back to New Zealand just because that's the easy option. I know how to do it. But I'm not ready to give up on Germany yet. Um, Germany is a work in progress, and it put a lot of a lot of effort. It's a bit like when I went to China the first time. You put a lot of effort into to living in China as a foreigner. Yeah. I put a lot of effort in living in Germany. Um, and it's not all been bad. I mean, I'm not trying to be negative here, but but there's been a lot of effort to try and survive in Germany, mainly around language, and I'm not ready to give up on that yet. But but what about you? I mean, I, I know that you hinted recently a little bit about your concerns of of the political developments in mm-hmm. Germany, and we don't need to to you know go over that again. But if there are other th- reasons and you you had to move, is there anywhere that go? Oh, I wouldn't mind trying to live there for a while. Other reasons would be that I I miss my family. I miss being close to my brother, my sister-in-law, my nephew, who I have not seen yet, and he's eight mm. months old. Mm. My father and my mother are in Sri Lanka. I would love to live down the street from my brother. Mm. I mean, I suppose that's as close as it would get. But I would like to live close to him, like, you know, have people coming, like, you know, have him take whatever he wants from the fridge and we would do the same. They cook very well. (laughs) (laughs) They have fantastic meals with like five and six curries and rice and stuff. My brother and I, we kind of left home around the same time to very different places. And um, we have got to know each other so much better over the last few years. And it strikes me and like, I mean, that's, that's someone that I share blood with that's mm. and that's mm. the only guy who knows my childhood who's been there in the room mm. when you know with my parents and um i i don't want to be the sister that he sees like once in two years mm. so i i might despite despite your warnings of snakes and spiders <laughs> i just might bloody well move to australia 
if my partner whose background is bulgarian hungarian and he is dutch and he grew up uh, between the netherlands and france and so he has a lot of ties to this place yeah it's it's it is tough isn't it um yeah that's that's a whole dynamic that um I'd not had any experience with. I've obviously observed it, been around in the international community for a long time. But the fact that my wife and I both come from New Zealand, mm. um, we we don't have that tension, shall we say? And I don't mean the tension between us, but we don't have those, you know, tension of pulling us separately yeah. necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you have you been to Australia before? I haven't. I have not been to Australia. Yeah. I'll try. I shouldn't say anything more. About the horrible snakes and spiders and the sharks and, and other things. And by the and way, the I love sharks. sharks, so I don't have a problem with sharks. But just they do seem to attack people in Australia quite often. Yeah, I won't put you off going to Australia. I mean, Australia is a pretty cool place, actually. It is. Yeah. It, it's yeah. it's very different geographically yeah. from New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. Culturally, it's quite similar. Um, I see. Quite. Yeah. I mean, it's very very close to to New Zealand. But there are some differences, but yeah, I mean, yeah, culturally it's quite similar. That's why so many New Zealanders go and live in Australia. But you know, it might be the case since if you had to, you might move to Australia and we might too. You know, we just might meet there, Simon. That's a possibility. That is a possibility. to the end of the show I've had an epiphany and I've decided that Nick is not coming back on the show you what hold on whoa I'm exhausted Dilly I've got nothing else to say if you expect me to come here every week and talk forget about it is this the longest you've ever spoken Simon <laughs> if you're enjoying the podcast why not give us a rating on iTunes which only takes a minute and can really help us you can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome or lowercase on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet me on at Dili Algama and you can tweet Nick at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40percentgerman.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and uh, bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. Tschüss.